but that's what I try to do. Like if I, but the one thing about writing every day is you no longer go through life. Uh, when you write every day, you go through life as an observer constantly because mm. you're always seeing something that that could be a daily coach or that should be a daily coach. You know, like that's an idea for the daily coach. Sure. You're kind of way more aware of things. Welcome back to Knowledge Brews Supreme, the show that percolates your creativity. And it is I, your host, Dr. John Chansey, back and better than ever. Today's episode of Knowledge Brew Supreme is brought to you by Barnana Snacks, a healthy, sustainable alternative to your favorite snacks. I am a huge fan of their Himalayan sea salt chips. These chips have only three ingredients, Himalayan sea salt, coconut oil, and plantains, but they are amazing. Barnana believes in creating great snacks and supporting environmental sustainability. You can find their products at Barnana.com, Whole Foods, Aldi, Amazon, and plenty of other places. Be sure to check them out. So the reason I'm here today for Knowledge Brew Supreme, my guest for today's show is the one and only Michael Lombardi. Michael is a guest that I have just been dying to have on my podcast since day one. I, I just knew like he was like a dream guest that I had to get on eventually. Uh, and for those who are unfamiliar, uh, Michael is a former NFL executive for teams like the Cleveland Browns. At the time, they were the Oakland Raiders, the New England Patriots, San Francisco 49ers. He's also the star of one of my absolute favorite podcasts, The GM Shuffle, uh, with Femi Abebefe. And he's the writer for The Daily Coach and VSIN. Uh, he also has an amazing book uh, already out called The Gridiron Genius. That's an absolute, book, you know, amazing book about football and kind of the leadership that goes into football. So please check that out if you haven't done so. But he also has another book. I think it's currently untitled about the NFL that's going to release uh, in the near future. So that was a really good excuse to bring Michael on the show today to talk about the book. Um, because he recently submitted the manuscript. So welcome to the show, Michael. How are you today? How is the NFL offseason treating you? Uh, well, there's not much of an offseason, but I appreciate you having me. Thank you for the kind introduction. Uh, you know, it's been fun. I mean, the NFL is a really, truly a 12-month-a-year profession. So, you know, there's really no quiet time. And there's still, you know, there's still stuff to get done. Baker Mayfield's going to get traded I'm sure Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get traded. I'm sure somebody's going to sign a huge contract. So it's going to continue. So it's been a lot of fun. And, and to get the book kind of behind me helps me kind of do my other jobs better. Sure, sure. One thing off your plate, you can start focusing on, on football. Yeah, and the Baker Mayfield, you know, I'm recording from Oklahoma City in Oklahoma. So a lot of people here are very, very invested emotionally to figure out where he goes. Uh, I'm a Seahawks fan, and I, I still am not sure if I want Baker Mayfield to end up there. I don't know. I don't think it's a long-term solution, but it, it, probably it's, better. It's not, but it's better <laughs> than Drew Locke or Geno Smith. So, sure. you know, sure. it's like Stephen Stills once. you got to love the one you're with. And, I mean, he might be the one to love. 
<laughs> certainly, certainly. So a lot, to, a lot of, a lot of things still to unfold this off season. Um, you recently finished the manuscript for your second book, which I believe is currently untitled. I know on the podcast, the GM Shuffle, you and Femi talked about, hey, we'll, we'll get the title going soon. I know also a big chunk of that book is covering your top 100 players list, which I think is awesome. I love a good list. So yeah, it is here. I, I mean, I can see you. So here it is. Oh, my goodness. How many pages is that? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> just, it's forever. But uh, yeah, so it's really two parts. It's there's 10. There was 10 chapters. And then there was and then there's the top 100 players where I, I try to tell a story about the player and how it relates to, uh, you know, uh, I'll give you an example, uh, Barry Sanders, you know, when he watched the, you remember that football game, you're probably too young, but there was this electronic football game that was out, right? It yeah. became, it, it became the, the sensation of, of uh, toys for kids. I mean, the company, made a ton of money off and it saved the company. The company had just moved from New York to Brooklyn and they were really going bankrupt and they, they invented this game and this game kind of saved them and made 30, you know, $40 billion for properties or whatever it did through the years. And Barry Sanders watched that, had that game under his Christmas tree, I think when he was nine years old in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he identified with the running back because the running back was kind of moving all. And that's what got him interested in football. He wanted to be a basketball player. So I, I try to tell stories that nobody really knew it, knows about. And I try to, in the top 100, I try to bring the players forward today to try to get them to, you know, who could play, you know, Dick Buckets, could he play today? Yeah, he could play, he'd be great today. You know, what the corners would be like, and then educate the fans more on football. So I'm curious, so you kind of already answered one of my first questions. I'm curious, you have these 100 players, you're trying to tell a story. Was there a particular, like, did you go about researching each player in a specific way, or was it kind of by player you were attempting to tell different stories depending on the player? Um, I'm just curious, what was the research process like? Well, I think, you know, you have to hook the reader. When you're doing lists, you've got to hook the reader in the first paragraph, Right or else they'll go to the next player because you don't need to read player 85 to get to player 84. It's not a novel, right? So you could skip pages. So you've got to make it interesting. And so what I try to do is research the player and find something that was interesting about the player. Sure. Something that I could tell a story about where you would want to read more about, even if you don't like Barry Sanders, you want to read more about him. So uh, that was the goal. And, and I've been, you know, the Daily Coach, we've written the Daily Coach now, Coach Raveling, myself, Kamadi Ramsey, Trevor Cap, and Alex Cesario. We've written this now for three years. So I, I really stuck with the, the Daily Coach formula. Tell a story in the beginning, kind of conclude, you know, expand on the story and then conclude. That's kind of the formula for the Daily Coach. We try to do that, you know. And so I try to stick with that formula for each player. Did you have a favorite player that that you maybe through the research, did you learn something about a player that you really didn't know before that maybe, you know, made that research that much more enjoyable? You know, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I lived here in a little beach town called Ocean City, New Jersey, and it's an island. And and when I was a kid, we used to go to this restaurant called Gino's, which is was big on the East Coast. 
And Geno's was named after and started by Geno Marchetti, the defensive lineman from the Baltimore Colts. Yeah. Who, and Geno's became part of, they also sold Kentucky Fried Chicken in that, in that store. And so I learned a lot about Gino Marchetti. I learned a lot about the San Francisco Dons football team, which was going to go to the Orange Bowl in, in 40, I forget the year, but they were going to go to the Orange Bowl. And they were one of the best college football teams ever. They had Marion Motley. They had a bunch of stars on their team. And because they had three black players, the Orange Bowl wouldn't take them. Wow. And so the school wanted them to go anyway. Yeah. And the players, because the school said, look, we're going to drop football if we don't go. And the players said, no, we're not going. Oh, my goodness. And so they, they stood up for that. So there was a lot. of I learned a lot from writing the book. I learned a lot about the, the, the you know, baseball had, had Jackie Robinson. Football has Kenny Washington. But Kenny was unlike... Jack, unlike Jackie, they both played at UCLA. They both played on the baseball team at UCLA. And Kenny was actually the better player, but he was a really good football player. Unfortunately, he just couldn't get into the NFL because there was a time period in the NFL from about 29, 30 to 46 where players couldn't, black players couldn't play. Wow. Nobody really knows that, you know? Yeah. And so, and, and then, and the only reason Kenny Washington was able to play in the NFL was because Dan, uh, uh, the owner of the Browns, was moving, Dan Reeves, was moving the team from Cleveland to Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And to play, and to play football in Los Angeles at Memorial Coliseum, the city of Los Angeles said, if you don't have any African-American players on your team, you can't play in a stadium that was built by taxpayer dollars, which include African-Americans. Sure. And so in 46, he, they put Kenny Washington and a couple of his teammates on the team. And that's how he got in. But by that time, he had played in the he had played in the semi-pro league. And he wasn't the same player. There's a book called The Forgotten Four, which goes into more detail about this. I wrote a whole chapter on it. But so but I put Kenny Washington in my top 100 only because I think he would have been had he been able to play. Sure. Oh, that's a wonderful example. Oh, my gosh. I am getting more and more excited about this book. Just that little taste right there. That's amazing. So. You've got the manuscript in, you, you, or you've got this, you know, massive manuscript. Do you have a, a release date or expected release date yet for this book? Uh, yeah, because originally the book was going to be a lot more of a, a wasn't going to be as much text. Mm. But, you know, I, I think a book is like a journey that you take and you really don't know where it's going to go. Sure. And when I started writing the book, I, I was, I started writing the book and the vision that I had, which may not have been the vision the publisher had originally, sure. but once I think they read the manuscript, I think they've come around to it. So uh, I think we have to work on that. I'm hoping Christmas of this year, but I don't know. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be a great present. Yeah, uh, would, I would think we would be because it's going to be more of a textbook, meaning it's going to be more written words as opposed to pictures. Sure. Sure. Did you have any, um, you mentioned that it's almost like there's two books you know, almost writing two different books, you have your 10 chapters, then you have your 100 players. Was there any discussion about releasing it in two books? Or is this all like, this is kind of the... it all ties together, you know, yeah. like, I really love doing the chapter on the draft. I love doing the chapter on television, which I thought was fascinating, the way that I not the way that I did it, but the, I try to explain to the reader how football became so popular. 
you know, for somebody who didn't grow up in the 70s, you know, you don't realize that in 1970s television, people had the TV guide on their on their nightstand, on their stand by, that, by there. Everything was appointment television. You know, kids today, they, they don't need appointment television. They just go to wherever they want. Right. Well, the NFL was, wanted to go on Monday Night Football. They wanted it badly. And the problem was they couldn't get a – there was only three networks at the time. There was ABC, CBS, and NBC. And CBS had over – 45, 35% of the market on Monday night. They had Gunsmoke, they had Lucy, they had Mayberry. They had these shows that are probably all on TV land now. Sure. And, and NBC had Rowan and Martin, and neither one of those wanted to give up the rights to what they had on Monday night. ABC couldn't make a dent into the Monday night lineup, so they went ahead and, and did, uh, they bought Monday Night Football for three years for $18 million. Wow. But what they did was, and this is the part of the chapter that I think is really important, is they they hired Howard Cosell. Yes, yes. And Cosell really launched the popularity of appointment TV to be there on Monday night. I mean, Monday night get, became so popular that bowling leagues, which were huge in America during this time, huge, right? They uh, they fizzled out in Monday oh, night. Oh, wow. No bowling leagues anymore because people want to stay at home watch Monday night. Did you ever read Robert Putnam's uh, book on bowling uh, on uh, oh gosh, it's right behind me. I should, it's book about decline in bowling memberships and not once. I never did. He never mentioned Howard Cosell, but I feel like if he goes back and revises that book, he should give a little credit to Howard Cosell. But anyway. interesting. And, and then it's a little bit like what I tried to write. One of my favorite writers is David Halberstam and Halberstam always does a great job of trying to put you in the moment to understand, you know, we tend to look at history backwards and we don't understand what was going on at the time you know the one of his great books about michael jordan is he talks about michael jordan being the center of the world and how the world kind of launches everything kind of is built around him espn the the ad agency nike all those things kind of formulated around them well it's the same thing with monday night i mean miller light was a struggling beer company a regional beer company in milwaukee you know and they wanted to put their beer on television and you know, they wanted to expand and they didn't want to call it diet beer. And so <laughs> they were able to get a Monday night. They got on Monday night. And the next thing you know, they used ex-athletes and they had this huge campaign colliding with Monday night football. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. What, what a just, yeah, for things to work out like that. So you've written, you've written two books. I've read one of them, GM Shuffle, I mean, excuse me, uh, Gridiron Genius. It's amazing. Um, what is your habit like as a writer when you're putting together a book like your first book or the second? Do you maintain like a daily habit? Do you want to try to write X number of words or write for X number of minutes, something like that? So, you know, what I try to do is I feel like my best creative moment is in the morning when I wake up. Yeah. So I, uh, I come into this office here early, 530, and I try to have something that I want to write. No, I, I, I start, let's start the day in the afternoon. So in the afternoon of the, of the night before, I try to prepare what I want to write about the next day. Oh, wow. And so like from four to five, I kind of work on whether it's research, whether it's worked on anything, and then get my subconscious to, to think about what I want to write about. And then really, it's amazing. I'm a great bedtime writer in my head. It doesn't come out on the paper as well as it does in my head at night. But when you go to you sleep, you think about it. And you yeah. 
when you're starting to go to sleep, you think about it. So then when you wake up in the morning, you have something to write about. I, I read that that Hemingway would stop literally when he was when he was really productive because he wanted to save something for tomorrow. Yeah. I've heard and, that. I, and I just kind of took that idea and modified it into my own idea. If I wake up in the morning and I don't have an idea what to write about, I'm not good. So like today, like now when I'm, after I'm done with you, I, I know what I want to write about for the daily coach for next week. So I'll organize that and I'll organize two of those so I can come in tomorrow morning, get up early and write that. But I, 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 it's really a twofold process. You know, Churchill had an unbelievable routine, which was remarkable. You know, Churchill really had two days in, his, in the way he did it. You know, people get so caught up that he was drinking booze and all that. But he, he would wake up at eight and he would obviously work through breakfast, work through lunch by shower, even working in the bathtub. And then at four o'clock, you know, he would take a, a really hard nap in pajamas and everything and sleep till six work and then get up and then start working again. And then he wouldn't go to bed again until one 30 and he would work all over. So he had like two shifts. Oh, wow. Which is really kind of fat the way he split it up. Yeah, it yeah. Like, he had two shifts. I, I try to do, I don't do the nap, but I try to kind of have like the morning and then the afternoon and then get the afternoon to go into the next day. Sure. Have you read uh, Martin Gilbert's uh, or biography about Churchill I read all yeah I've got them all yeah. upstairs on my bookshelf up there yeah oh good stuff I'm getting I'm getting uh really into Gilbert books right now so that's fascinating yeah he's a great historian he's remarkable he's the official historian for Churchill yes yes exactly guy knows his stuff um so you kind of already answered my my next question but I'm going to ask it a little, a little bit different way you mentioned that the morning time is when you're kind of most creative but I'm curious like when you're writing a book or let's say if you're writing like a, 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 an email that's going to go out for the daily coach, when do you feel the most creative in terms of like actually creating the product, like beginning, middle, end, like when you're editing something or maybe when you're putting together rough drafts of ideas, is there a moment when you feel the most creative kind of in the actual process, not necessarily in the time of the day, but just along the journey of when you're putting together a piece of work? I, I think where I'm a horrible writer, I'm a better rewriter. I think when you're rewriting something is the most creative time. You add more to it. You kind of yeah. go back through it. You add to it. You don't like that paragraph. You know, I have a, but I call them scraps. I have a bunch of documents where I've written something that I don't like. And I put it like a chapter nine scraps. I'll put it in the scrap file, you know, and then I'll go back and if, can I use that again? Or I don't really like that. Or I need to rework that. I, I think I think the rewriting is the best. I don't know how people did it before computers. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know how they rewrote, but I could see, you know, there's a there's going to be an unbelievable documentary that I can't wait. It's coming out, I think, June 12th. It's called Turn Every Page. It's about how Robert Caro wrote all the books about Lyndon Johnson. Ooh. Yeah. And so I can't wait to to because he he writes a lot of stuff longhand. And, and then when he, he types, when he's done long, and he doesn't use a computer, but that's what I try to do. Like if I, but the one thing about writing every day is you no longer go through life. Uh, when you write every day, you go through life as an observer constantly. Because mm. you're always seeing something that that could be a daily coach or that should be a daily coach. You know, like that's an idea for the daily coach. Sure. You're kind of way more aware of things. 
Oh, wow. That's fascinating. I, I, yeah, I, I, I love to hear that. Um, so I want to know kind of another writing question. How has your writing evolved um, from Gridiron Genius now to book two? Has anything changed in your approach or how you do research or how you think about your writing or any, any direction you want to take that in? I think to me, I, 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 when I read in the afternoon for an hour, I'm a better writer. Oh, wow. And when I read really good writers, like when I was writing this book, I tried to spend an afternoon, you know, five to six, just reading. Like I've been, in fact, Omar Tolles, I don't know if you read any of his books, uh, The Rules of Civility. He's a novelist. Uh, he wrote Gentleman in Moscow. Uh, and his latest book is The Lincoln Highway. And I just got turned on to him. My wife was watching the morning show and he happened to be on it. And I was mesmerized by him, you know. And so I think I, think I write better when I read more, if I like, I'll read, like, I love to read Wright Thompson, the writer for the ESPN. I think he's yeah. worker sham. I read him. And so when I read other writers, I kind of feel like how they create the paragraphs. I, I kind of look at it more through a different lens than I did before. Sure. Do you, that's a good kind of follow-up question. You mentioned a couple of other writers um, as a writer, who or what inspires you? You mentioned a couple of writers, but there, are there any other specific people or oh, Carol really inspires me. I mean, here's a man, he's 86 years old, I think. He's written five books, the research that he does, the discipline. I think the one thing about writing a book, it requires great discipline, you know, and Caro's been writing this last volume of Lyndon Johnson, and he's been dealing with, am I going to live to finish it? Sure. Wow. Because he could wake up one morning and, you know, and not be, not wake up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At 86, you know, every day is precious, you know, and so... I think that burden. And so for me, I, I get, I love, I love great writing, you know? And so whether it's musical writing or whether it's that, I read a lot of books about musicians too. I think that's really helped me quite a bit because the creative process to how they handle it. Certainly, certainly. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about the daily coach because one of my favorite things to do each day is to start my morning by opening up my email uh, and reading the Daily Coach newsletter. Uh, I think I've been reading it now for a few years, and I'm just curious how did how did you get involved in this in this pro in this project? I mean, it's a really wonderful collection of of, of essays that are sent out, you know, daily uh, with wonderful pieces of advice, just ways to kind of think about life and leadership and a number of things. Uh, you know, so when I first started working in 1997, when I got fired, when the Browns moved to no, when I left the Eagles, when I got fired from the Eagles, I got an opportunity to work at CBS uh, as their information guy behind the scenes. Then they put me on the air. And when I was at CBS, this man named John Colmansberg was a tremendous, he's a savant, basically. He, he always would say to me, you got to spend time with, with George Ravelin. So I knew the name George Ravelin, but I didn't know it. When I moved to Los Angeles uh, in 2016, I lived near Coach Rav and we had played, we had talked and met each other, but we really never sat down. So once I moved to LA and I was working on Gridiron Genius, I would have dinner with him once a month and we would sit and talk. Coach Rav's a very fascinating man. He was, he, he's very humble. He doesn't share a lot about his personal achievements, but he was literally on the stage when Dr. King gave the I Have a Dream speech. Oh, my gosh. And he is the owner of the I Have a Dream speech. I think he gave it to Villanova. 
because when Dr. King walked off the stage, uh, Coach Rav asked him, Dr. King, can I have a copy of that speech? He folds it up and gives it to him. Oh my gosh. There's a video clip of it. There's a video clip of it. So anyway, we, we were sitting there having dinner one day talking and we had just read the trillion dollar coach by the guys who founded Google. And they were talking about Bill Campbell, the former head football coach at Columbia, who won, I think, 13 games in four years. And Bill Campbell moved from New York City. He rented office space in downtown Palo Alto and set up a consulting business and said, I'm going to help all these people. And he ended up helping them. One of the people he helped out was Steve Jobs. So as a tribute to Campbell, when he died, these guys wrote a book called Trillion Dollar Coach, because essentially he coached a trillion dollars worth of of, of money, of people. And Rav and I just sat there that day and said, you know, uh, if Steve Jobs needs a coach, Michael Lombardi needs a coach, right? <laughs> you know, George Ravling needs a coach. So we just came up with the idea. Let's put out a, let's put out a story every day and see if we can, it resonates with anybody. And it'll be three years in July. It's just an, it's been an idea. We haven't turned into a business yet. But it's, you know, none of us have made any money off it. You know, we have 30,000 morning subscribers every day, which is great. But, you know, we, we are, we're, we're, we're trying, we, we need to advance it further, but that's how the genesis came. That's how the idea started. It percolated there. And we have some really talented people that I write. And when I, when it first started, I wrote quite a bit, but now we have this Kamadi Ramsey who he'll usually write the Sunday pieces, just brilliant, it's just tremendous. And uh, and then we have uh, Trevor, who also writes. He's a North Carolina graduate, tremendous writer too. So it's really good. And then Coach Rad writes that writes on Friday and Saturday too. So we kind of break it up. Yeah, I really enjoy. Uh, I, I I specifically I like them all, but the Sunday one really is exciting to me. That's the one that comes with the book recommendations, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. always I always end up picking one or two. That's, that's from Coach. If you ever go, if Coach ever meets you for lunch. He'll give you three books. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Three books. That's amazing. amazing. He goes to the bookstore. He has an office in, in El Segundo, and he usually has lunch in the marina or breakfast in the marina or dinner in the marina in Los Angeles. And there's a Barnes & Noble in the marina, and there's a bookstore by his office, both the Barnes & Nobles. He'll go in there two, three times a day. Wow. Hey, that's a, that's a great quality. I'm a big reader myself, so love to hear that. Um, I want to I wanna switch gears again. I want to talk about the GM Shuffle. You have your, your podcast. You're currently working with uh, Femi Abebefe. Uh, you've had three different producers on the show, but it's largely stayed the same in terms of quality. Like, I still love it. Like, I loved it when you had Adnan. I loved it when you had Tate. Still with Femi. It's still one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Like, during the season, I mean, it's probably my go-to podcast. And now during the offseason, like you said, the NFL season really never ends. Um, I think the podcast is so cool because you're able to share insights because you have such a long experience of working in the NFL. You're able to make predictions and comment on the comings and goings of the league. And you really don't pull punches. I think that you're, you're honest uh, about, about most things and, uh, on the show. You tell things like they are. Um, so I'm curious, do you get feedback on from this show from like current executives or coaches or players? And if so, what kind of feedback do you get about your your takes on, on the current NFL? 
I don't really get much feedback. I get a lot of people listen to it, you know, like they don't admit they listen to it, but they do. <laughs> sure. Know? So it's a little bit like Gridiron Genius, the book. Nobody really admits that they read it, you know, especially in football. Like basketball people, you know, I, I have a lot of basketball coaches that have read it, uh, you know, because basketball coaches love to talk about football coaches. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, you know, I'll get it. If I say something, I may get a comment from a team saying you're dead right about that or, you know, this is what's going on. And, you know, but now nobody nobody's ever called and complained to me because I don't think they've ever really like I don't think I'm saying stuff that they know is not true. Sure. Making anything up, you know, like I just think to me. It, it, you know, like I was very critical of Matt Nagy, you know, and like Matt, Matt, I was critical of one coach for a head coach for a while. And then after he got fired, he called me and now we're, we're close friends. Oh, wow. So like, you know, and he would be like, okay, like to me, I, I think we, we, we take criticism. I used to tell my sons this all the time growing up. There's a difference between coaching and criticism, Right when you accept it as coaching, you become better. When you take it as criticism, you don't listen to it. I mean, yes, I'm criticizing, but there's a part of it that's coaching too. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I, and I've, I've never heard a piece of, of, you know, quote unquote criticism from the show that ever has felt mean or nasty or personal. It's always felt like what's on the field. What are we seeing on the tape? What are we seeing? That's it's, it's, well, yeah. we, we, we cheat our fans. Okay. Last night there's the basketball game, right? Right. And, yeah. and Mark Jones, the color guy says to, says to Mark Jackson, he says, what do the Warriors have to do to get their offense going here in the fourth quarter? And Mark Jackson says they execute. You know, like, like, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Like, yeah. that's so unfair to the viewer. Sure. Like I was producing ESPN show. I'd be like, Mark, you got to, you know, you're the expert. You got to take us behind the wall. Teach us something about the game. Yeah. You know, tell us we are not, we are, we're dry. We have fans that want to know. Yes. You know, and don't say, what does execute mean? It's like a coach who says, play harder. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, it's not measurable. It's yeah, it doesn't mean anything. So to right. me, I think that's part of what's missing with football. Football is a different sport, right? So basketball, you play offense and defense. Football, if you do color commentary for football, say you play tight end, you may not know all the positions. And then what you don't know is the front office. You don't have a complete understanding of the game. You know pieces of the game, you know, and you 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 say, Well, I played. Okay, great. You played, but you didn't draft. You, right. you build a team. You don't understand how a team works. You don't know what about leadership. You don't know all the dynamics. So you're a player and you're going to critique the coach, but you've never really been in the coach's chair before. You've been a player. Sure. So it's like you got to have some way to educate the fan. And so what I've tried to do with the podcast is just be honest and educate people and admit when you're wrong. Like, you got to admit when you're wrong. It's like you can't sit there and say, well, you know, like, I never thought Josh Allen would have accuracy. I'll be the first guy to tell you that. Like, but he has improved his accuracy. I never thought it would happen. But I don't find myself less of a person for admitting that I was wrong on that. Right? Like, I, I think to me, it's like I always said this to scouts. If a scout tells you all his great picks, 
all his finds. He's a shitty scout. <laughs> if he tells you the ones he blew, he's yeah. a good There you go. That's a good lesson. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So I, I want to kind of take wrap some of this all together. Um, got a couple like big questions left. You've worked in the NFL from what I understand since 1984. Is that correct? Yeah. What what lessons would you think like you've worked in the NFL, several teams under some very big names? You know, we've got we got Al Davis. We got Bill Belichick. Uh, we got coach Bill Walsh. I mean, a lot of big names. So what kind of lessons did you do you bring to, let's say, your writing or your podcasting that you learned from working in the NFL for so long? Maybe not necessarily something football related, but something you might have learned kind of indirectly uh, from those years. Block out the noise. Oh, interesting. Focus on what you can do. Don't don't listen to the noise. It's just noise. And write, you know, write from what write what you believe. Don't try to make everybody happy. That's a good one. I, and I can tell from the podcast, I mean, just from the GM shuffle, you're definitely speaking about, you know, what you know, what you care about. And, and, and that, that goes to show. Um, another question, you are, you consume the game and probably, I, I think, you know, you consume it in a way that's probably different from like a casual fan. So I'm just curious, like, what does your typical like NFL Sunday afternoon during the season look like? Like, what's your schedule like as you're watching games and maybe preparing to go on the GM shuffle or maybe you're preparing uh, for VEASAN or whatever, any way you want to take that. What's a Sunday look like for you during the NFL? Well, you can't watch them all, right? You can't watch every game. So you got to kind of focus on a game. You know, sometimes I'll watch the red zone, you know, just because I know we'll get more games that way and I can see it. Uh, And then usually what I'll do is get up Monday and I'll watch as many games as I can before the show on on the coaches thing or on the, the, the reels and on Sunday you know you can definitely really get the Sunday night game you can watch that completely the four o'clock games there's going to be a game there you can watch completely so you can knock out two or three games there I, I typically will watch wherever my, my son last year I watch every Patriot game I watch every Panther game yeah so, because I have an interest so those I knock those games out and that's it's just mostly just following the football, kind of keeping track of it all. And then when the games are over at four o'clock, really kind of go through the play by plays, understanding what happened in the game, you know, looking at the, you know, looking at the stat sheet, who converted third down average, you know, all the things that I think are important towards winning. Sure. Sure. Cool. Um, I want to now switch gears one more time, but this time we're going to do some kind of rapid fire questions. I'm just going to ask you a few questions and um, just say whatever comes to mind. Uh, so this first one, I know you are a huge fan of, you know, uh, mob movies, you know, all things Sopranos, uh, yeah. Godfather, Goodfellow, all that good stuff. So let's say you uh, you can only pick one movie to watch for the rest of your life between Godfather you can pick any of the guy, one or two, I would assume, or Goodfellas. Which one are you going with? Godfather. Ooh, Godfather one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have a love affair with Mario Puzo, oh. so I just think Mario Puzo. If you read The Fortune of Pilgrim, uh, his first book that got no really popularity, it's a brilliantly written book. I, I just think The Godfather. There's so many lessons in The Godfather sure. that go into life. The way he was able to explain it. 
Uh, I just think it's brilliant. And of course, Coppola just did a tremendous job with it. The way he did the screenplay, his giant notebook that he used, you know, and so it would be the Godfather for me. That's interesting. I, I actually read uh, uh, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli, but I heard you talking about it on the podcast. And I just went down a big rabbit hole, had to watch all the Godfathers, read the book. I mean, just, oh my gosh. So, right. Oh, yeah. oh, go ahead. Well, it's just the way he wrote it and the way he kind of explained it and the way he, the lessons that he tried to teach all of us. Yes. So, I mean, yes. So relevant to this day. It's one of those movies. It's probably like one of the handful of movies that, just cannot be remade. Do not touch it. Don't go near it. Don't option it. Anything like it's perfect the way it is. No, you could never make it again. The brilliance of Coppola, like I'll just give you an example of his brilliance is so when when the prop guy plants the gun in the Louis restaurant behind the toilet, behind the push down toilet, you know, they went through it and they told Pacino where the gun would be. And then Coppola told the guy to move the gun oh, wow. to a different spot so that Pacino would be getting filmed and kind of panicking that the gun wasn't there. Yes, like a his little, real anxiety. Realize that, a little detail yes. that, that just sold the scene. Oh my gosh, that's it's amazing. It's, but he's brilliant. Sure, sure. Um, similar question, and I think I know the answer, but I still have to ask it. Uh, if you could only pick one show, Sopranos or The Wire, which would you go with? That's a hard one. I, I'd go Sopranos, but I love The Wire. Oh, we actually, yes. The, the Wire for me was an education because growing up in a white world here on this island, on a beach town, and evaluating African-American players that grew up in the inner city, there's a huge disconnect between yeah. what I think and what they live. Right. And so I'm trying to judge them and never knowing their world. The wire brought me closer to their world. Yes. It gave me an understanding that, you know, because they went down a drug road, that didn't make them a bad person. That was just somewhat that was the that was where they had to go. Now, it's not, you know, we all know. So it was an education for me. Sure. Yeah. Have you watched uh, We Own the City? No, but I need to do that. Oh, it's good? So good. So good. It. It has moments where it will feel like, oh my God, this is season six of The Wire. Like you just feel like you just got dropped right back in Baltimore. It's not yeah, the same characters, obviously, but we are the city. We we own the city. We own the city. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the David Simon, his other project, uh, and it just finished. Only six episodes. So You're a great writer. Oh, amazing. Um, the Wire actually celebrated its twentieth anniversary yeah. yesterday. Right. Do you, have, do you have a favorite character from the show? So many of them. I love Prop Joe. I think he's hilarious. Oh, good stuff. So, uh, I'm going to write leadership lessons of The Wire for next week. That's one of the things I'm going to write tomorrow morning. It's funny you said that. Uh, and I've just been collecting some. I, I love Prop Joe. Uh, you know, I, I love Brother Malzone. Oh, good stuff. Because he knows who he is and he doesn't try to hide it. You know, I mean, Avon Barksdale is really truly you know to me stringer bell is the perfect example of going too far away from your strength yes which will be what i write about uh you know so i i would say those and uh you know i love bunk too you gotta love bunk if you don't love bunk i mean mcnulty is lovable but hateable at the same time yes i i 
I think Bunk is such an underrated character. And I and it, the fact that him and Jimmy were able to have a whole scene where the only word they say is fuck for the yeah. for five minutes and it's just gold. Like, oh my gosh, it's just- uh, well, Lester, Lester's incredible. Lester's good too now. Lester he's makes the wheel, he's the one who makes the engine go. I mean, that yeah, guy- Lester's really good. I mean, Lester's smart. He's, you know, he's creative. He's, he's a good person. Yes. You know, you, you could see he's a really good person, you know, so- does real police work. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. This next question, I'm very curious how you're going to respond. I just got a few more rapid fire questions. You worked with one of the most interesting personalities in all of the NFL history, and that's Al Davis. And unfortunately, I, I think, you know, Al Davis passed away probably before the before podcasts really got going. I think they probably existed, but not like what they are now. How do you think Al Davis would react if somebody asked him to come on a podcast? Any chance we can get like a quick Al Davis uh, podcast request impersonation? Oh, there's no fucking way I'd do that. No, he was very guarded. He was very guarded about who he gave information to. Sure. Uh, I used to say to him all the time, you know, are, are, are you going to, you know, why don't you write a book about the history of the AFL? You know, because there was a time where, you know, what people don't realize, I wrote about this in the book, too. Al was the commissioner. He wasn't the commissioner for very long. And Lamar Hunt went and Tex Ram were negotiating the, the merger. And Al didn't know that. And Al was negotiating an invasion of the NFL players. So they had a they had a little bit like the wire, right? You know, the wire has the Sunday rule where you're not allowed to do anything on Sunday. It's church day, right? Yep. Well, in the AFL and the NFL, they had an unwritten rule that rookies were open season. It was open. You could go after any rookie you wanted, back and forth, negotiate money, all that. Veterans were untouchable. Oh, wow. Okay. So unless the team decided they didn't want the veteran, you couldn't go after them. AFL, NFL. It's the unwritten rule. Well, the Giants signed Gogolak, the kicker from Buffalo, and Buffalo wanted him back. And that opened up this whole, now they broke the rule. And so Al's the commissioner, and he's signing Roman Gabriel. He's signing John Brody. He's going in to get these players to these huge contracts. So when their contracts are up, they're coming to the AFL. What he didn't know was that Lamar Hunt and Tex Schramm were meeting at Love Field in Schramm's car negotiating a new deal oh my gosh wow and wow. so now i understand why tex and <laughs> al and and lamar and they never got along so well sure sure oh my goodness um would you ever consider returning to the nfl no no, no. I, I think I, I i like my second career hell of a lot better yeah <laughs> probably a lot less stressful i'm sure um another quick quick one last rapid fire question i know you're also a big reader and big fan of reading about all things about JFK, especially the JFK assassination. Do you have a favorite JFK conspiracy theory that you know is not true? Uh, you know, I, the only thing I know is, is if you watch or you read James D'Angino's book, Destiny Betrayed, is that Oswald was what he said of Patsy. I don't know what the other things are, because what I don't think we understand as a country is the, the National Archives has a lot of information that the, that the Warren Commission didn't release. 
So for all the people that cite the Warren Commission and say Lee Harvey Oswald was this or that, they've not they've not visited the archives. And the one thing I got to say this to you, Doc, is is these people that research this assassination are not some strangers from another planet. Like these are serious researchers that spend time and money to do it. Like they're really spending time and money to do it. And so to dismiss them as flyby nights is unfair. Sure. And so I would say the only thing that I'm certain of is, is that I'm not even certain Lee Oswald was on the sixth floor. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's like a whole nother, a whole nother potential podcast. There's a new one coming out. Mrs. Payne's uh, that, that this is, she was the, the woman who kind of took the Oswalds in, in Dallas. And there's a new documentary out called Mrs. Payne's assassination, which wow. could be fascinating. Yeah. I read the, I think it was the beginning of this year. I read the Norman Mailer book about all of Hard them. Uh, I mean, Norman Mailer just, so you got to understand something when, you know, some of these companies just put out propaganda that wasn't accurate. Sure. And they used writers to do it. And right. like everything in Norman Mailer's book has been proven wrong. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's such a, it's such a fascinating. I love Norman Mailer. And I love Norman Mailer. Right. Mean, right. Ghost is a great book, but no, I mean, the Anthony Summers book is just ridiculous. Like they just destroy it. You can go on to a website and you can break and they'll break it down and they, and they don't just break it down. They basically give you the, the, the data point to prove it wrong. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Interesting. Well, you, you survived the, the rapid fire portion of this show. I just have a few more questions to go and we'll, we'll get you out of here. Um, I'm very curious. You've got this second book, the manuscript. It's ready to go. It might be, you're saying, maybe the end of this year. Um, I'm curious, what's next? Is there any chance we'll see a third book? I mean, how about a book about JFK? Uh, I don't know if I can write that one, but I don't know. I mean, I think to me, I would love to write a book, go back into the leadership sector. Uh, uh, I'd love to write a book with somebody like Roger Martin talking about coaches and leadership and trying to help uh, help. Uh, develop that that would be something that would appeal to me uh but I, there's a lot of projects that i, I think about that I, I you know uh that i would like to get involved with yeah so and and making the daily coach kind of growing that is the number one thing on my list awesome yeah and it seems like it's picking up some momentum each each uh each issue i read it seems like you've got new sponsors you've got more and exciting content coming out so i'm, I'm happy to see that working out um I ask this of everybody who comes on my show. Uh, it helps me to get suggestions and also for the listeners. What are you watching or reading or listening to these days? Anything you're just hooked on, you can't you can't put down or can't stop listening to? You know, I am uh, I'm reading the book a, a book called Scouts Mindset, which I think is fabulous. It's by Julie Gilleeb, I believe her name is. I'm finishing. Uh, I'm reading uh, the Lincoln Highway by Tolls. I'm trying to finish that. I've read the other two books. Uh, as for watching, you know, I haven't really been watching too much uh, because I've had grandchildren run around the house. It's hard to watch anything, but I watch sports. So, but I would say those two things, those two books are kind of on my plate right now. Nice. Yeah. And you said you watched the uh, the NBA finals last night? I did. I watched that. But, you know, because for my show, the Lombardi line, I've got to I watch that. That's kind of like sure. required work. My wife doesn't call it work, but it, it sure. is. Who do you, who, uh, with one game in, who do you like? Think it's Celtic? I, I thought Boston was a good team going in. I, I mean, everybody was disputing Boston as a chance. 
I think Boston proved last night they shot 51% from the field, which they won't do all the time, right. but they played them really well. They played good defense against them. Yeah, they played great defense. So, uh, well, my last question is, you know, where can listeners of this show, Knowledge Brew Supreme, where can they find your amazing work, whether it's your written work, your podcast, anything at all you want to plug? Well, I'm on I'm on Twitter, M Lombardi NFL. I'm on Instagram, M Lombardi NFL. All my links are on my Instagram account through that link tree thing, so you can find me there. I do VSIN, which is Vegas Stats and Information Network. I'm there 12 to 2, Monday through Friday, and Saturday and Sunday, 10 to 12, and then the GM Shuffle. So I've kind of gotten everything under one umbrella. I work for DraftKings and VSIN now, so it's been good. Nice. And I'll be sure to put the link to those uh, in, the, in the show notes. So uh, that's going to wrap things up for today's episode. Thank you so much to Michael Lombardi from the, the Daily Coach, the GM Shuffle, for joining me today. Please be sure to check out Michael's work with the Daily Coach. He's got some amazing daily tips on leadership. Uh, also, buy a copy of the GM Shuffle. I think it's in paperback now. So, uh, oh, Gridiron Genius, yes. Gridiron yeah, Genius. Oh, Gridiron Genius. I'm sorry. Gridiron Genius. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so many great things. I'm mixing them up. But yeah, listen to GM Shuffle by Gridiron Genius. And um, are you able to pre-order the new book yet, or is that coming? We haven't got a title yet. I mean, I'm oh, still working on the titles. Maybe we'll get one. This I'm hoping to get one here. It hasn't hit me yet, so that's the problem. Okay, maybe one of these mornings, maybe you'll well, wake up one day and well. the title will hit you. So, awesome. Uh, this makes episode 32 of Knowledge Brew Supreme. I am your host, Dr. John Chansey. My goal is to get to 100 episodes. I'm only 68 away. Thank you for listening. Please share, subscribe, and review. Be good and be safe. Peace out.